You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're continuing on in a series called Be Intentional. And I'm adding a couple of words. Today we're saying be intentional or be miserable. Okay? Trust me on this one. Today we're talking about dating and marriage amidst chaos. And the choice is yours is our big idea today. Um, and now I know that when I bring up just the topic, some of you were wanting to spring to your feet and bolt for the door, right? <laughs> because this isn't a fun one, uh, but I'm telling you it's important. And, and let me tell you, some of you were walking in here and the reason you don't want to hear about it is because you've recently been through divorce or um, you're wanting a divorce today or you've been single a long time and you're just frustrated and uh, it's just not working well. Or maybe you're a teenager at high school and you're saying, I don't want to talk about this. This is dumb. I'm out of here. The message today is broken up into three parts. The first part's going to be very Bible heavy and actually some deep theological stuff we're going to handle. The middle part is a whole bunch of Mike, Mike opinions. So I want to be clear on that, that when we get to that middle section, I'll warn you. I'll say this is just a bunch of me having done ministry for a long time, performed lots of weddings and counseled lots of folks. Um, it's going to be a bunch of my ideas. Take them or leave them. Fine. The third part will be for everyone. So if you're sitting in here and you're miserable and, and you just hate this topic, I guarantee you a third of the message, um, it will touch you and you're going to walk out um, feeling great. You're going to walk out feeling great. Um, are you with me on that? We're set for where we're going. Let's pray. Father, I'm standing up here and you are in this place. You are in these people and you are in me. Father, please move in me. Help my words to be clear. And Spirit, could you untangle the mess in everyone in this room's minds when it comes to your words so that it can be clear and we can understand it. We beg you for understanding today. And God, I pray for the hurts of the people in this room with just this one topic, that they are deep and they are serious and your word has answers. We thank you for that in your son's name. Everybody sit. Amen. All right. <clears throat> I had a Knowing this was the topic, I had a cute conversation with a guy who's telling me about this girl that he met in youth group. And they were just friendly. They weren't really friends, but they were friendly. And he was going away to uh, join the Navy. He's going to be a Navy man. We got any military folks in the house? Raise your hand. Military, anybody? Woo, woo. Thank you for your service. We're all grateful. Aren't we grateful? Thanks for that. Um, he's going to go off into the Navy, so they're throwing him a party. They're going to throw him a going away thing. And it's actually at this girl's house. She's hosting the party. And throughout the evening, whatever, at some point, she asked for permission to write letters back and forth. And he said, sure, that sounds great. So I don't know how long, weeks, months, I don't know how long it was, but letters back and forth. All of a sudden, he jots down on his thing, you know, his start and said, a dear, whatever. This time he says, hey, babe, and continues on with his letter. I'm a guy, guy's in the room, it's nothing, right? But ladies in the room, that is something, isn't it? And let me prove it, because when he got the return letter, this is the first words of the letter. Hey, what's with all the hey babe stuff? <laughs> right? Right? And his heart sinks because now he's doing the guy thing, trying to figure out the lady thing. Right? He's going, um, what did I mean by that? Um, how am I going to reply? The next five words or so made him calm down and relax. She said, whatever it is, keep it going. Isn't that cute? Oh, you can all for that. That's cute. We're talking about all this mushy-gushy love stuff. And if we want to have that kind of, I don't know, they've been married 50 years. Isn't that cool? 
I think that's really cool. Give it up. Anybody here married longer than 50 years? Wait, in the back. How long? 50. Wow. In the room. That's pretty great. Now, that could mean they have a great marriage. That could mean they have a great marriage. But what if they're awful to each other for 50 years, right? What if they're just horrible? See, we can't define a great marriage as, you know, just the length of time. That doesn't work, right? They could be horrible. What about, uh, who, we have any newlyweds less than two years married? Raise your hand. Oh, quite a few. Less than one year. Less than six months. Oh, <laughs> they're all cute and coming to church and arm in arm. It's just, oh, sorry, I got a little sick. Um, no. <laughs> no, I did it. No, but I love love. That's great. We actually have something for whoever's the newliest married. Two months? Wait, who? What? How long? Yell it out. Three weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> Here, we got something for you. Free tickets to a concert, you know, because you guys need to get out. In <laughs> you can't just stay in bed all day, guys, okay? <laughs> I know you're three weeks in. <laughs> Okay. How about seven-year marriage? Been married about seven years. Seven years? Okay. And another seven years. How close to seven years? And you guys? April, they win. April in the back. We have a book, and it's, uh, the, the big idea of the book is this. Hey, I married a broken person. I'm a broken, a broken person. Why are we so surprised that our marriage is all messed up? <laughs> like, that's the whole point of it. And you guys are at the seven year. That's like the seven year hump, right? We know that. You got to get through that seventh year and keep going. Um, so what about this? I'm a math guy. I'm kind of a nerd when I think about a great marriage. What if it's LFPY, least fights per year? What if we evaluate marriage that way? Least fights per year. That doesn't work because... Um, I have had people and, and talked to them, and they tell me the story where they didn't fight, they just didn't do it. And then after 40 years of marriage, came home one day, and there was a letter just saying, I'm leaving you. They didn't fight. So that can't be the mark of a great marriage. How about this? And this one is based on a biblical principle, biblical idea, and here's the biblical idea. Forgiven much, love much. Forgiven much, love much. Jesus tells a story uh, to some of the Pharisees, and he tells them this idea that if you have somebody who's in debt $1,000 and someone who's in debt a million dollars, and both debts get wiped clean, who's more grateful? Who's more grateful? The million-dollar guy, right? Because they were forgiven more. And Jesus says that uh, the, the person he's actually talking about is a woman that's sitting down, and she's supposedly some notorious bad lady, done bad stuff, but she's weeping at his feet, cleaning his feet with her tears. And he says, your sins are forgiven. You're all good. Now, all you Pharisee people who are trying to look all religious, you think I care about, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. He doesn't care about the bad stuff. So what if a marriage that forgives the biggest stuff that marriage has the capacity for a greater love. That could be a way we judge marriage. In fact, um, there's uh, one story of a guy that I know, I'm, I'm a super fan of his. He was an elder at a church um, that I worked at for a while. He was a divorce lawyer. We don't call it divorce lawyer. What do we call it? They practice his family law. But he's a divorce, divorce attorney. His whole goal was to keep people from getting divorced. This is his whole goal. 
Um, he had uh, one time a 22-year-old guy come in and say, this is it, I'm done, I'm out. And he, he starts to go through the list, and the guy says, I don't need the, excuse me, I don't need the list. And this is a hard one for me to talk about, but he said, I don't need the list. Um, they had gotten married because they had gotten pregnant before they were married, and uh, they had two more kids, 22 years old, no job. They're um, managing an apartment so they don't have to pay rent. And times are tough. And she had been brutal to him, and he had been brutal to her. I mean, you could imagine the worst things that married people do to each other. And this divorce attorney is looking at him, and he says, well, this is what we're going to do. You're not going to get divorced, but I'm going to help you. He'd never been to college, so he got him into college, started helping him pay for college. Got him through law school, paid for law school. Had him join his firm and said, why don't we help other people that are going through what you went through? And for decades, that's been their business model. Divorce attorney. How do you guys think that feels? Doesn't that sound pretty awesome? It's amazing. Yeah, you can clap for him. He's a, he's a rock star. Um, but that marriage has a huge capacity to love. I'm telling you. A huge, maybe even a greater capacity. But the way we can know about this idea of perfect marriage, we're going to toss out all the garbage that's out there, all the stuff you've seen on TV and all the love stories and the novels, and we're going to go straight to the Word. So grab your Bibles. We're going to Genesis 1. We're going to start with the perfect marriage. The big idea for this first part is choose a destination. I mean, this is huge. Choose your destination. Without a destination, so if you're entering into this thing of dating or you're young and you're thinking about it or maybe you don't ever want to date again, but the idea here is choose your destination. What is God and where does God want us to end up in marriage? What does it look like? Genesis 1 starting at verse 26. This is day 6 of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Isn't it interesting that it starts with, then God said. Who's he talking to? You ever thought about that? Then God said. So he's having a conversation about this idea of creating people. And a lot of people look at this passage, and what they don't want to do is admit that it's this idea of the Trinity that we're singing about earlier. That's the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and um, they're three, but yet they're one. They don't want to have to go to that complicated thing. So what they say is, God's talking to the angels. He's talking to the angels. Well, let me just dispel that very quickly, just by looking at the passage. It says, let's make man in our image. Well, angels aren't made in the image of God, only us. Isn't that cool? Did you think of that? Only us. So that can't be it. It also, if it's not the Trinity, if it's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then all of these verses I'm about to spat out to you. If you have your pens, you can grab it and get ready to write because I'm going to go fast. But you can write them down. This is going to prove the Trinity is right here in this passage. Ready? Hebrews 1.12, Colossians 1.16, 1 Corinthians 8.6, John 1.1, and John 1.3 all say that Jesus is the creator. All of those passages. In Genesis 1-2 and Psalm 33-6, we have the Holy Spirit there. And right here we have God, what would be the Lord, the Father. All three. That's a massive idea here that at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And He was God and He was with God. So they can be God and yet be with. It's a very interesting concept. But it's right here at the very beginning. And what is this conversation He's talking about? He's saying, 
Let's make these people in our image, in relationship. They're having a conversation. Isn't that fascinating? Then he also says here, he gives them responsibility. What are they supposed to do? Rule over the animals. So we got jobs to do. I like that, and I know it's not in this passage, but again, this is the perfect marriage before the fall. We're day six of creation. You ever wonder what heaven's going to be like? I think I used to think it'd be playing a harp, you know, <laughs> singing, which God would not want me to sing, <laughs> right? But I do it anyway. But that's what I thought. Do you ever think that? Floating around on clouds. I don't know why that's in my head. But no, I think we're going to have responsibilities. We're going to have job to do, things to do, stuff to get done. It's not going to be as hard as it is now because we know after the fall that was, uh, things got harder. But that's a huge point here. Okay, next. Let's go to the next verse. So God created. So they had a conversation about what they were going to do, then they did it. And now, when I keep saying they, some of you in here are going to get very mad at me because you're saying, no, this is a monotheistic religion. It is. It's one. But when I'm saying they, it's because all three of them are there, and yet they're one. Mind blown. Good. You can stay there. It's okay. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Both equal both in the image of God. It can't be any more clear than that, can it? There is no weaker. It doesn't say that the man is better or the woman is better. God created both of them in the image of God. Okay, next he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Oh, another thing we get to go do. Yay! <laughs> okay, that's a fun one. <laughs> Fill the earth and subdue it. Again, this is the rule over. Wait a minute. Who's he talking to? Well, now he's got to talk to the creation. He's got to talk to the people. He had the conversation among the Trinity. Then they did it. But now they weren't there when they had the conversation of what they're supposed to do. So God has to talk to the people. He's telling them, go now, be fruitful. Uh, go rule over the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and of the sea and of the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves on the ground. Don't you love that right after creation, God had a conversation with them. That's powerful, making it very clear what they're supposed to do. Subdue it, fill it. So now we're going to do, so that's day six in Genesis 1. We're going to move to Genesis 2, which is just a more detailed account, uh, account of day six. Okay, so it's going to break that out into more detail. I believe God set the foundations in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, he kind of tells us the story and the fun stuff and some of the details. We're going to skip for the sake of time all the way to verse 19. So God has already created man. He's created the man. And now look, look at this, verse 19, chapter 2. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man. He, God, brought them to the man. You might think that the ark was the first time the animals came two by, I think it's two by two, it doesn't say that, but came two by two and walked in front of him. He brought the animals to him, just like he brought them to the ark. So I imagine them going two by two. He brought them. And why would God do that? And what job does he have for them? Look, look at this next part. He brought them to see what he would name them. To see, God wanted to see what man would name all these creatures. So God creates the creatures. I wonder what he's going to call this one. Okay, that's what I'm thinking in there. <clears throat> Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now again, there's no language here. It's not like this is the original, you know, Latin all the way we have it now. Don't think of it that way. I don't even know what language they spoke. <clears throat> so anyway, the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. Listen to the next verse. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. See why I think God made him walk in front of him? 
He's evaluating, looking at all these animals and saying, that one's not for me. That, wait, oh, that, that, that's not going to work. He's evaluating as they go by. None was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. You've heard that before. Better translations probably side from the side, not just the bone. And you'll see it right here. And then he closed it up and replaced it with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib or the side of, of Adam that he had taken out of the man. And listen to this. He brought her to the man, just like he did all the other animals. Isn't that neat? I love that idea that God walked her. And now Adam's going to do what he's been doing for the last five hours. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. There's the idea. He's naming her. Isn't that fascinating? I love that idea that in the beginning, God had it all set out. And again, in Genesis 1, he says, what's the important part? They're all equal. It doesn't matter who came out of whom. That doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, I made them male and female. He created them both. He brought them to the man. And he named her. So this next verse, <clears throat> I'm telling you, feels like a very aside thing. And even when you read it and you're, you're going, it doesn't really fit in the, the grammar of it, but it is powerful. And it's going to define what actually happens in this perfect marriage. It sets it up, and it sets it up for every marriage to come. Here we go, key verse. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Biblical marriage was created by God. Biblical marriage is one man, one woman. Biblical marriage is the start of a new family. That's the idea of flesh. And we would say, uh, maybe not bone of my bone, flesh of my, my flesh. We would say something like flesh and blood. My kids are my flesh and blood. Isn't that how we would probably say it today? It includes sex, and it is only in marriage is where sex belongs. That's why it's in this passage. And it says, uh, Hebrews 13, 4, if you want, um, the idea of what that means is the marriage bed is to be kept pure because of this one flesh idea. <clears throat> Do you guys go to a lot of weddings? I obviously go to lots, right? <laughs> so, I don't, I'm not cynical. I love, love, I trust me, I do. And all these cutesy little ways of people trying to demonstrate what's happening. You ever seen like the, 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 the groom and the bride, they each have a candle? And then they light the big candle in the middle. Oh, like, oh, that's so sweet. Um, they're trying to give an example of what this idea is. And so many of them bug me. The one that bugs me the most, the, the one that bugs me the most is the one where the, the guy has like a, a, a glass jar of blue sand and the woman has a, a jar of white sand. And then there's an empty jar in the middle and they fill it. It's so cute because it swirls in it. Here's why I hate it. You know how easy it would be to separate the sand? Like that's what goes on in my mind. I'm like, I, it might take me hours, but I could go blue here, white there, blue there. Well, that is not what God means by becoming one flesh. It's a weird thing, guys. It's something that, that went in this beautiful way, and, and it gets messed up. Like, like if, if somebody in there then, in this marriage relationship, goes and has a physical thing with somebody else, it just feels so wrong. And I, I talk to guys all the time, and, and they try to say, Mike, why does it hurt so bad? And you keep telling me to just forgive them. And I'm like, you know you should. Like, <laughs> it's pretty simple. And he says, yeah, but I don't have to. Anyway, we have the conversation, and I say, it's okay that it hurts bad. It's supposed to. Imagine taking your flesh and ripping it apart because you're one. You guys get that? 
And then there's no way to rip it cleanly. There's no way to just take part of it. But okay, yes, you'd have a greater capacity to love in that marriage. So let me go back to that. This isn't a condemn the world thing. This is to have you have an abundant life. That marriage is meant to be beautiful. Best marriages are the restored ones, if you ask me. So, but we can't downplay this one flesh idea. We can't downplay it because if we do, when we go dating, this thing called casual sex or I don't even know what you call it nowadays. It's chaos. It is just chaos. And uh, I mean, I have so many stories of now fifth graders and fourth graders and it's disgusting and, and so sad. But when you take God's perfect ideal out of it, there are no boundaries. No one knows where to go. So we have to choose our destination. We have to choose it carefully. Okay, here comes the middle part. This is more uh, the Mike opinion stuff. Uh, and the idea for this section is choose your relationship vocabulary. Choose your vocabulary. We have to redefine some terms here, especially in church because we are all over the place on this one. So here we go. Dates. Dates. We got to call it what it is. Call it a date. If it's a date, it's a date. If it's not a date, it's not a date. So, these are the questions I get asked all the time. Mike, can you go on a date as friends? Of course, but call it a date. Don't see we're hanging out. No, you're on a date, but it's okay. You're just friends. That's fine. Church people all get all freaked out when you, you, went, on, you went on a date with them <laughs> or vice versa. It's nothing. There's no commitment. It's just a date, right? It's not that big of a deal. Mike, can you go on a date with one person and then another person the next night? You can. It's not a big deal because it's just a date. I don't recommend it. I mean, I personally would love to see people, you know, if someone's going to take my daughter on a date. Well, great. Don't go on a date with another girl the next night. Think about it. You might, what if you want to date her again? Okay, not recommended. Here you go. Tough one. Can you go to dinner and then a movie and a picnic at the park and call it hanging out? Can you? No, you can't. And I'll prove it to you. Here you go. If uh, this Friday night I'm hanging out at Macaroni Grill and I'm sitting there with someone other than my wife, Oh, some of you can go, I don't know about this. That's a good thing. But then if later, right at the park outside your house, you see me on a blanket laid out and I'm sitting there with that same woman. You okay with that? Shake your head or something. You okay with that? You want to know why? It's a date! <laughs> it's a date, that's why. It's a date. And married people can't go on dates with people that aren't their spouse, Right? Of course you would feel messed up about that. Hopefully you would come to me and be like, Mike, what the heck are you doing? You're... Anyway, okay. Dating. It's a pretty simple idea. Dating. This is a committed relationship, saying I'm not going to go on dates with anyone else. For now, I'm going to stay dating you. I get asked this question, how many dates turn the relationship into dating? Don't know. There's no number. There's no number. But I tell you, some of you are in a dating relationship and you think you're still just going on dates. Somehow it transitioned. Let me tell you when it transitioned. When you added a physical expression of an inward condition. Let me prove it to you. If you have kissed a girl that you're just going on dates with, you haven't made a commitment, nothing, but you kiss her. Ha. Then you go on just a date with a different girl the next night and she sees you. Ha <laughs> Then, she doesn't say anything, then she watches you kiss her. Instantly, her Facebook status changed from dating to single and never going to date again, right? Like, you can't do that. You can't do it. Why? Because you're in a committed relationship. Because you added a physical thing. 
I don't know how to tell you guys this, but the intimate, small little physical touch stuff is the first steps toward one flesh. That's why it feels all good and stuff. <laughs> That's why it feels so good. We have to redefine that idea of dating and keep those innocent, simple messages of communicating how you feel on the inside to the outside pure. And that leads me to engagement. Now, in church, let me tell you, if I hear somebody comes up and tells me they want to get married, and say, oh, when, when, when do you want me to officiate the way? And it's three years down the road. What am I going to say? <laughs> That's crazy. Because when, now you're taking your commitment to, I am going to marry you. And you have to wait on the sex stuff for marriage. So do you know how difficult that time is to wait? It makes it so much more difficult. So, you know, less than a year, you got to do less than a year. And if somebody told me three years, I'd say, you need three months. <laughs> Biblical marriage, we need to define that. And let me just tell you, I can do it in two words. Biblical marriage, Genesis marriage. I was all confused about it. I'm going, I, I just don't get what the confusion is. The Bible's so clear. Finally, love. This is going to be the most difficult term to define. I'm going to start with defining as what it's not, and then the whole next third of the chapter or the message, we're going to clear this up. Let me tell you what love is not. Love is not something you can fall into or fall out of. Love is not something you can fall into and fall out of. Like, you trip and all of a sudden, I'm in love. You can fall into a lot of things, but you can't fall into love. And when I have people tell me that, well, I just, I just fell out of love, I go, well, that, that's not possible. All your, your, your definitions of the words are wrong. You're missing it because love is not a feeling. I'll prove it to you. So if you're coming to me and, and we're, let's assume it's your wedding day and you're standing in front of me and, or maybe it's you're going to renew your vows because you're like, hey, Mike, we've messed everything up. We just need to renew it. I'm like, yes, you do. They stand in front of me. This is what I don't say. Oh, do you, Joe? I don't know who Joe is. If you're Joe in here, I'm not really talking about you. But do you, Joe? Do you like Susie? I mean, like, like, like her? We never do that, right? And... And Susie, do you, do, you really, do you really like him? Like, you know what I mean, like him? I don't do that. What do I say? Do you promise? Do you vow? Do you commit? In sickness and in health, what other awful situations can I think of to make sure you understand what I'm saying here? Richer for poorer. Good and bad. And the ugly. That's what we ask. Love is not something you fall into. It is not a feeling or emotion. Got to choose our vocabulary. And we're going to define this idea of love. Ready? Here we go. Last point. Last third. Here we go. So if you haven't tracked with me, you're like, I don't want to listen to anything you're saying. Ah, you got to listen now. Choose to be attractive. Choose to be attractive. Now, right now, one of you just elbowed your spouse like, I got this one. <laughs> I'm money. You know I'm money. Say I'm money. Anyway. <laughs> Right? If you just had that happen to you, you'd be like, yeah, you got it, but I got it too, babe. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> you got it, baby. Love you, sweets. Okay. My wife is a gifting, gifted cosmetologist, and anyway, I want to tell you a, a little idea thing story. 25 years ago, we got married, actually 25 years and six months or something, and here's a picture from our wedding, and you're going to think, oh, that's so cute, and uh, they'll put it up behind me. When they do, you're going to say, oh, isn't that cute? 25 years ago, you got married when you're six. No, because that would be creepy. That's just creepy. No, I'm, I'm getting old. So somewhere along there, I was like, hey, man, you got to help me with this. I'm getting older. I need a makeover. She's a cosmetologist, very, again, very gifted, 
And I said, we had a conversation. He says, okay, so if that was the before picture, then after a bunch of time, this is the after picture. This is the after the makeover. That's, right? The beard was a little longer now, I know, and it's a little grayer now, but choose to be attractive. We spend so much time trying to look attractive instead of trying to be attractive. We spend so much time trying to look attractive instead of trying to be attractive. And it's much more important to be attractive. To be attractive. That's why I believe as married couples get older and older, they're all still cuddly and smoochy-facing because they're, they're attractive, because they have worked on being attractive. And I can prove it to you why it's much more important. So, you guys are all out there, my single folks in the house, and you go on some dating website. I don't know what the famous one is or the best one now, but you're on there. You see a picture of a guy, you're like, eh. You read his little thing. You think to yourself, because you're not stupid, that's probably all fake. I'm going to have to meet the guy. Um, so then you probably go and stalk him on every social network to see if it's the same picture. Anyway, you say you're going to meet him for coffee, so you go meet. 45 minutes, the entire time you're wanting to leave because all he's doing is talking about himself or vice versa, guys. You're with the gal, and all she's doing is talking about herself. Is she still or is he still attractive? Right? What changed? Okay, um, if that one wasn't awful enough for you, what if... Two months into going on dates with this thing, you're thinking about getting in a dating relationship, you're going to commit, and all of a sudden you, you tell an anger story of how you had gotten angry at your boss or whatever that week, and the guy says, oh man, you need to get a dog. And you go, what do I need a dog for? Oh, I just kick my dog when I get mad. I call him my therapy dog, right? Is he still attractive? I don't care how much money he makes. I don't care if he's got the cars and the thing and the bling and the <laughs> Rico. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's not attractive anymore. Agreed? Do we all agree? But why do we spend so much time trying to look attractive instead of being attractive? Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. I'll read that again because it's really complicated. Become the person, which to me is the key. Become the person. Choose to be attractive then the person you are looking for is looking for. One older brother told his 29-year-old sister, I don't know if this is true, I just read it, but I thought it was great. 20, and she doesn't like being single, 29 years old, she's frustrated. The older brother says, you always complain about your boyfriends. If you don't like the fish you are catching, then maybe it's time to evaluate the bait. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, thanks, older brother. I love you too. <laughs> but that's the big idea here. And let me see what the Bible would say, that God knows that people look at the outside. But what does God do? He looks at the, he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. All right, our context of our last passage is so critical um, to what we're going to do because every single wedding I've ever done I always use this verse every wedding or maybe 80% of the weddings you've been to they use this verse uh, it's it's all about love and and yet let me tell you the context is not about marriage the context of this passage is about church it's about this that happens that's the context it's two chapters long and this is kind of in the middle 
and it gets yanked out because yes, it does apply to marriage. It also applies to dating. It also applies to what happens in here. So brothers and sisters in Christ. So make sure you get that in your head here because this is a lot bigger picture than just marriage. But let me say this. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to say, they'll know that you're one of my people, that you're a follower of me. And it says this, if you love one another. In other words, if we can apply this verse that's coming up here in just a minute, or these verses, everyone will know that you are my disciple. Everyone will know. It will be clear. You don't have to say anything. In other words, our marriages in here would be so good. People would be like, wow, they must follow Jesus. I mean, these people are crazy. They forgive each other like crazy. I'm telling them to bolt and run. But no, not these Jesus people. How we love one another is probably the most attractive or least attractive thing about church. Here's the verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there on your phones. You can go there. I also have it on the screen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This kind of love never fails. That's the definition of love. Now, I have to admit, <laughs> I read this and I was very convicted because just this last week, we were driving home as a family in the car um, from down south in L.A. So it's about a six-hour drive. We're about five hours in. I'm done, right? I'm totally done. And I think the kids were done too because they were just, they're just being teenagers, but they're getting squirrely and, and I'm trying to listen to the radio and I keep telling them, guys, guys, no, right. I'm telling them, shushing them right as I'm driving on the freeway going whatever, 70 miles an hour um, or probably 80. Anyway, driving, convicted again. I'm here to confess to you how horrible. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, all you. Yeah, point the finger. Um, and I'm getting frustrated and then I don't want to ignore them when they ask me a question. Like, if they ask me a question, they need me to respond. So now I'm going, okay, I can't answer a question. And, and I can tell them to be quiet while I'm still listening, but I can't talk to them while I'm listening to the thing. And, and here's the worst part. I'm listening to a sermon. <laughs> Judge me again, yeah. I, I feel so bad because I am completely losing it in, inside. So all I got going through my head is Tim Hawkins. I don't know if you know Tim Hawkins, but this is what he says to do in those moments, driving along, you got the kids in the back. Hey, kids. <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, is that scary? That's what he says to do. Like, Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, I can't handle these kids anymore. I'm okay if we die. Anyway, that, that concept is going through my head. And I have completely lost my patience now. It's everything in me to not get angry. Because um, they were just being kids, and again, it was no big deal, but I knew I was going to teach on this. And I think when I go through that list, if you're like me, I mean, every one of those I feel convicted on. And every one of them. And you can see here that love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. You have to choose to be patient and kind. You have to choose to keep no record of wrongs. If you have the same fight over and over because you keep pulling stuff back from before, that's totally not allowed. 
Biblically, that's not fair fighting. Doesn't that make you feel awful? I just fail at that one. See here, if your spouse gets sick, love always hopes they get better, but it always protects. I have so many stories of people taking care of failing spouses. You think whatever you're going through is hard? Just imagine that one. I got some advice on this passage because I wanted to change it up because this is the stuff I've talked about often. Um, and I heard, um, I heard this from a godly woman. She says this, I take the word love out and I put my name in. Let me tell you, that was great. Mike is patient. Mike is kind. Mike keeps no record of wrongs. Mike always protects. Mike doesn't dishonor other people. And then, after that advice and sitting on that and feeling horrible, um, I realized something. That I can put God's name in there. 1 John 4, 8 tells me, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we aren't loving one another in here, we aren't loving in our relationships, we aren't loving the person that we're dating or that we're engaged to or that we're married to, then we don't know God. But the thing is here, I can say God is patient. Even when I'm not being loving, God is patient with me. And patient... Patience isn't just enough. God is kind to me. God keeps no record of wrongs. Everyone in here right now, you walked in feeling terrible. You get to walk out with a smile because God keeps no record of wrongs because God is love. He keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) You're gonna get to walk out of here feeling great. I mean, I wanna leave the, the story about the car and how bad I felt because, oh, I feel awful. So God, please, I wanna leave that one here. But then I can quickly go back Years and years and years of things I really need to be forgiven for. Are you with me? He keeps no record of wrongs. That's the God. You thought he was a God of anger and wants to smash you and step on you and make you feel guilty and small. That's not what it says. God doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God's always hoping we're going to get it right this time. Always hoping. It's like, today's the day they're going to do it. They're gonna, I know they're going to do it. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and let me tell you, just wants us to choose love, and he's going to give you the power to do it. He's going to give you the power to be a loving person, to become attractive. He gives you the power to do it. You just got to choose. Let's pray. Father, for some people in here today, um, they're hearing for the first time of your message of love And that because of what your son did on the cross, that they get this forgiveness, this no record of wrongs thing, that that's really a thing, and it is. And God, maybe for the first time, they're hearing that they are loved by you, and they want to respond to you and say, I love you too, and they'll make a choice to follow you. If that's you sitting in here, you're just going to pray a prayer something like this. You might not even know how to say it, say it in your own words, but it goes something like this. Um, God, I don't know much, don't know how to say anything to you really, but I can't believe you love me and you forgive me. And I'll take that. I need that. I want that. 
And I know that being a follower of you means that I'm going to now be a more loving person. And I'm making that choice. The bottom line is I just give you me. For the rest of us, let's continue in prayer. Father, boy, we love that you love us and please help us love better. God, I'm standing here wanting to be a better man, wanting to be a better husband, wanting to be a better pastor, wanting to love with everything I got. So that maybe somebody can come to know you because of our crazy love. God, I want to praise you for the people in here who don't just adopt kids. They adopt kids with disabilities. We're a little crazy. We're crazy for you. Lord, we love you. And we are so grateful for how you love us. We will follow you. We will give you our love and we will give it as you've given it to us, to those around us. We are your church. And this idea of love is supposed to be so attractive. God, make me attractive. Make us attractive. Make Sun Grove attractive. We pray all this in your son's name, the very name, the precious name, present at creation, suffered on the cross and rose again. It is in the name, that name, the name of Jesus, we all pray. Everybody said. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.